Dave Rubin, and joining me today is the host of the Megyn Kelly Show, Megyn Kelly. Megan, I just said your name three times. That's four <laughs> if I say Megan one more time. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. I realize that's quite an intro if I say this is the host of the Megyn Kelly Show, Megyn Kelly, and then I want to say your name to bring you in. Yeah, it's, it's a, a lot. lot of Megans. A lot yeah, of Megans. MK. But I got you. How you doing, sister? It. What's going on? I'm doing great. All is well. I'm I'm excited. This has been a great news cycle. It always makes me happy. And uh, my kids are in a good place now, so that makes me happy too. All is well. Let's do the kids stuff first. You fled New York City. You're in the suburbs over there, but you still are in the tri-state area, let's say. Yeah. Uh, are you protected enough from the insanity just by leaving Manhattan? I'm Yes, I am. And I'm so excited. I'm so thrilled we did it. You know, we've talked about the awfulness of the New York City private schools before and how hardcore left they went. I mean, hardcore. Asking my boys, and they're all boys school regularly if they were sure they were still boys. That school no longer refers to boys as boys. They call them your student. Go collect your student. They yeah. don't say son. Um, it, this was one of the more traditional schools in the city. Yeah. That's why we chose yeah. it. Uh, if we wanted far left, we would have gone to Dalton. We chose one that was more traditional, but it went hardcore at, at the thing about, you know, race essentialism and in every classroom where white children learn there's a future killer cop. I mean, they went far left. So we pieced out of there pretty quickly. And we found this school in Connecticut where we did our homework, of course, it's still boys and girls. Cause I have two boys and a girl and my boys school in particular has been outstanding. My little guy says the pledge every day. We went to the annual dinner where they, you know, say hello to all the parents just the other uh, last week. And the head of school stood up there and said, we are unabashedly pro-American here. Hmm. And we do not believe in equity of outcome. We believe in equality of opportunity. And we yeah. don't believe in teaching these boys what to think. We want to teach them how to think. Like, I, Dave, you or I could have written this yeah. as the <laughs> ideal ethos for our school. And so I was, I mean, a single tear was running out. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. Uh, our girls' school has been better than where she was. I wouldn't say it's quite as great as the boys, but we're working on it. Do you feel undue pressure when you send your kids to a school? I mean, you're Megyn Kelly, every administrator, teacher, and all the other parents, they're gonna know who you are. They're gonna know that if they overstep on something or if they have an odd policy, there's a good chance you're gonna talk about it. That's gotta be a kind of delicate balance because you also wanna keep your kids private and all that. Well, I don't talk about what schools we're at or even what city we're in because I really have had some very dark security issues in my past as an anchor. Yeah. So yeah. just as a security measure, I don't do that. And so I wouldn't be embarrassing this. It would it would take a massive fall down. Even even when I left the New York City schools, I I haven't named them. I don't talk about them by name. I, I don't I'm not my goal is not to embarrass anybody. Um but it, if they cross the line far enough, I would have to. <laughs> it's definitely, you know, an, an arrow in my quiver. And um, hopefully they won't necessitate it. You know, I I will say, like, if something happens, I, I've become a squeaky wheel. Mm -hmm. You know, there there was a memo that went out by one teacher citing Kendi and anti-racist this. And I, I mean, immediately I was on the horn, like, what's this? This mm -hmm. is, And the school was already on it. They had already taken care of it. They were wow. two steps ahead of me. So I knew I was in the right place. But um, I can't really worry about that. And I will say, if I speak out publicly, because I, 
for example, my daughter's school, they were looking for a new head of school and I, we went to all the meetings and I listened to every single candidate and what she was saying on, you know, their vision. And I asked all the tough questions about diversity, equity, inclusion, the lovely name that doesn't match up in practice. And I had so many parents come to me after the fact saying, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, it's like, you know how it is when you're out there, like you're out there with your opinions and so am I. People are grateful because they're still stuck on the other side. They don't feel like they can especially touch those third rails. And so they feel really validated when they hear somebody who's who can do so. I, I can only imagine at like a school board meeting how they're all staring at you like, Megan will do it. We can just, <laughs> we can just kind of sit back here. She'll, she'll take care of it. Do you think your politics have shifted at all in the last couple of years? Like, I think you and I, as much as I can think of anyone in a public sphere, I think we're like pretty darn close on things. And whatever the differences are, it just doesn't matter in terms of being human and friends. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, as things have spun out of control over the last couple of years, do you think you've shifted on certain things? Well, I almost feel like I'm kind of the same, but the ground shifted beneath me. You know, I didn't like radically change my own positions, but they've started to mean different things. I used to think I was more liberal socially, but I can't say that now because what that means now is you're pro this radical trans agenda and you're pro race essentialism. I'm not pro any of that. It used to mean like, I don't know, just an entirely different field of things. And I used to be more pro national security and sort of the national security apparatus. You know, I'm Gen Xer, experienced 9-11 on a personal level. Mm, things have changed there too. I definitely, the farther we get from 9-11, the less we need a lot of those tools and the more I see them being abused. My feelings about uh, federal law enforcement agencies like the FBI have changed as we've learned more information. So I, I feel like the world has shifted and my opinions of it have changed accordingly, but I remain non-ideological. You know, I'm at heart, I'm a soulless lawyer who wants to be persuaded with facts. And if you come to me with better facts, instead of saying, oh, I, I was wrong, I'll say, hallelujah, I've learned something new. I'm smarter today than I was yesterday. So I'm not ideological. I'm certainly not a knee-jerk Republican or Democrat. Um, I'm still a registered independent and remain open-minded. Does Do you think that can work, the, the independent thing, like in, in sort of real politic? I know it can work for you privately and personally, but like that in terms of just this craziness that we're in, it's either like we're going to usher in more of this woke stuff or maybe we can stop it. But the middle thing is just, well, it getting, it's just getting harder to hold in a way. Middle is not the right word. Independent yeah. is different. Independent is just, I think, non-ideological and mm -hmm. open to calling BS on both sides. Um, but I'll give you an example. I went to a, one of these like events where you show up and you have deep conversations and people buy a ticket to listen. And one of the guys who was there spoke near when I did was Andrew Yang. And I like Andrew Yang a, a lot. I, I don't agree with him on most of his positions, but he's the kind of Democrat I could get behind. Tulsi Gabbard, she's the kind of Democrat I could get behind. In no world do I ever see myself backing somebody like Matt Gates for president. I, mm -hmm. I, you know, I could never back somebody like AOC. Marjorie Taylor Greene is not my cup of tea. You know, so I don't know. You know, like if it were Marjorie Taylor Greene versus Andrew Yang, I'd probably go with Andrew Yang. You know, so that's what I mean. Like, yeah, it could work for me. I don't know if it's going to work for the country, <laughs> but for my own personal politics, I'd be fine with that. When you're doing your show every day, uh, are there moments of uh, of frustration? Or is it just pure, like, you're just getting the information in, 
and you kind of comment on it and talk to people? Or does it wear on you ever? Because I'm like sort of, for the most part, I'm pretty much enjoying the show and all that stuff. But every now and again, like I was on, as we're taping this now, I was on your show earlier today. And it's like this Kamala thing with the communities of color and the equity stuff, it, it really was getting to me. It really was. Like maybe that's a little bit of the, the new father thing. Like I'm feeling this like need for the next generation suddenly in a new way or something. But like these, these are just horrible ideas and mm-hmm. bad people. Yes. And these culture wars in particular really upset me. And the COVID overreach really upset me. The longer it went down, the thing that made me the maddest I've been in probably the past two years was the the shaming of parents who wanted the masks off their kids. Like, you haven't done your part. You don't care, you know, about society and the old people. And it's like, we've done our part. Our children have done our part. This has been an absolutely senseless exercise, what you're doing to these kids. And finally, parents had to stand up and basically raise the middle finger and say, it's on. Whether we're Democrats or Republicans, it's on. We're showing up at your school board meetings. We're we're going to rhetorically torture you until you listen to us. And you can call us terrorists. You can send the FBI in. We don't give a fig. We're not going anywhere. I felt it. So many parents felt it. And we won that battle. That that's that's why Glenn Youngkin won in Virginia. And it's why the Democrats almost immediately abandoned those positions. They recognized they were all going to f- suffer the same fate as Youngkin or the governor, Phil Murphy of New Jersey, who only won by two or three points. who's expected to win by 30. They got it. And there's a reason the reason those kids don't have masks on there in the schools right now. And that it's because of the parents. That stuff fires me up when when the weak or the vulnerable or the smallest among us can't fight for themselves. And the kid thing was really annoying because you had people like Randy Weingarten, like, they're resilient. They don't complain. They're little. They don't know how to give voice to this stuff. Like, they're not loudmouths like you or me. We're here for them. Randy Weingarten is the enemy. I'm sorry, but she is the enemy of children. And she has to be identified and treated as such. And frankly, Dr. Fauci is in exactly the same camp. So I'm so glad you just said that because that's where I was going to know. What do we do about these people? I am not one for jailing our political opponents and I don't <laughs> want to throw them in gulags and all the things that they probably want to do to us. But when you look at somebody like Randy Weingarten, who's now taking the reverse of all the positions or claiming that she took is taking the reverse of all the positions she had for two years and Fauci, who, you know, uh, not wearing masks at a baseball game while telling us to wear masks, all the stuff. Everyone knows all the stuff. What, what do we do with these people? Like publicly, what, they what need should to be publicly happen? Because- shamed over and over and over. And I really think this is one hopeful thing about the Republicans taking the House, which we believe they will. Uh, I mean, it would, it would take a massive disaster between now and the election day for the Republicans to lose the House. But um, they're going to investigate Fauci. And I know he went out there and said, like, I'll consider it if they play nice. You know, I didn't I didn't appreciate the way I was treated before. And I would expect to be treated. You'll show up and you'll sit down and you'll answer the questions or you you will be found in contempt of Congress. That's how this works. You don't get to say, maybe I'll come, right? That's what a subpoena is for. So we could get some real answers if the GOP takes over the House and investigates the COVID origins and more, maybe not more importantly, but equally importantly, the cover-up by our public health officials. What the hell went wrong at the CDC and the NIH? And how did they become such huge behemoth godlike institutions in the eyes of the media and the liberals to where their, quote, science, TM, could not be questioned? Because it's still happening, Dave. I mean, I, 
I'm preparing for a big interview that's going to hit soon. And I'm neck deep in this right now. The vaccines and the information about the damage that the vaccines are doing versus their efficacy is dark. It's it's not turning out the way even vaccine proponents like yours truly wanted it to. Why is it being buried? Why can't we talk about it? Even journals like Science and Nature and um, New England Journal of Medicine are starting to release the studies showing that there's a real risk in taking the vaccine and then you get COVID after you've taken the vaccine. These are dark times. They can take you to dark places. And there's not an acknowledgement by people like Fauci. He still wants vaccine mandates. They refuse to acknowledge that the vaccine doesn't stop the spread. And yet we're still imposing the mandates as though they do. And then endangering people who get the vaccine, who don't need it, who then will probably get COVID anyway, because it doesn't protect you from getting the transmission. So you're really messing with your immune system in dangerous ways. They won't acknowledge it. The only answer is public accountability, an outcry. Wasn't it also amazing how it's like we had this federal mask mandate on the planes and then one judge in Tampa is like, no, no, no more. Everyone takes the masks off the next day and there's no spike in COVID. There's no sudden outbreak on a plane that's you know taking it over to Europe or vice versa. And But we don't really like, stop and acknowledge that. Like, boy, they just the week before Fauci was like, yeah, we should extend it on the planes. Yeah, I know. God bless that judge. And some people, even on the right, some lawyers I respect ripped her opinion. I was like, you know what? It's a great opinion. I totally agree with it. Um, And it stood right now. It stands. And we've been fine. We've been fine. I don't think the masks are going to come back. I really don't, except for in like really crazy leftist cities, maybe New York City, you know, maybe L.A. Um, I don't think they're coming back because people have seen with their children how damaging that is. You know, I still see people in the New York area riding around with a mask in the car by themselves. (laughs) But I think for the most part, we're done doing it on a mandatory basis for children. The vaccine mandate, though, it's still in a lot of places. I think you said before that you were a vaccine proponent. Does that mean that you're not a vaccine proponent now? Yes, it does. Um, I was never a pro-mandate. But in the beginning, I thought the vaccine was a miracle. You know, I was proud of American industry for coming up with this thing so soon. And the first version of the vaccine seemed seemed like the best one because there was, I believe, still some measure of protection, protection against the spread uh, of COVID. And so that particular vaccine worked fairly well against the, that original version of COVID. And it's just gone steadily downhill since then. And so now I've got some serious questions about efficacy, about dangers, Yes, side effects from the vaccine, but also what are we doing to our immune systems and other other body bodily systems when we take the vaccine that won't prevent us from giving, getting COVID and then we get COVID. So now you've had at least a double shock to your immune system. There are questions about what it actually does, if anything, to DNA. There have been denials and so on. But more and more information is starting to come out now, as you would expect. We're two years into having the vaccines. And you can't trust the American public health services. They they have only one mission, which is to push more vaccines on us. You have to start getting your information from the UK, from Sweden, some, from Finland, uh, from Israel. Like there are countries who are taking honest looks at this. Sadly, we're not one of them. And by the way, every country you just mentioned, I mean, they're making mistakes too, right? Like even you can get your information from pretty much everywhere. And even then it's like, it's hard to tell what's true. But I don't trust the people who never revise their opinions after new data comes right, in. Right, right. You know, and I mean, 
seriously, like there's now, uh, like in, in the UK, you're not supposed to, they're not recommending the vaccine. They don't, they won't give it unless there are special circumstances to kids under 12. Here at our school, uh, there's a mandate in place. Now it doesn't kick in until you're 16, but there are still school systems in the country where you have to get it under age 12 or you're expelled. That's what's happening in Washington, D.C. They just had to hold off on it because it was going to lead to half of their population. And that's a black school population yep. Yep. that wasn't going to be able to go to school. So they cared about that. Right. But they're mandating it now for young people when we really have no idea whether it's actually going to lead to increase in cardiac events for young children, myocarditis and beyond. I featured friends of mine, Dave, on my show, friends of mine uh, who I got to know at the beach, their 17 year old son died suddenly of a, a heart attack, of a heart incident caused by myocarditis. He wasn't sick. He had COVID and he had the vaccine. And the family doesn't know. They don't yeah. know what led to his death. But he was perfectly able-bodied. Five months after he got the vaccine and some, about a year after he had COVID, he died of myocarditis. There's just been too many incidents like that. And if you look at the rise in cardiac events amongst young people now, um, it's disturbingly high, and it seems to follow. You, if you look at the graphs in these magazines, I've so these are like far left or far right magazines. Um, they follow spikes in the vaccination rate. They don't follow spikes in COVID, like the outbreak of Omicron. It's not like all the cardiac deaths were mm -hmm. happening then amongst mm -hmm. the young people. They have been following the increases in vaccination rates, country to country. So, look. All of that disturbs me and gives me pause. And as a journalist says, I want to know more. I want to know more. And I know where not to look. I will not look at Rochelle Walensky or Anthony Fauci or anybody at the NIH or the WHO. I mean, Fauci just gave another grant to Peter Daszak's group, EcoHealth Alliance, another yep. 600 plus thousand. It's going to go up to 3.3 million to do more bat coronavirus research in China. These are the people that we're looking to for answers? No. So I'm still looking for the perfect advisor, but I know that they're overseas. <laughs> and uh, as I'm sure you saw, uh, Fauci's net worth increased by $5 million in yeah. the last two years. That's bizarre. And why is it that a public health official can get a million dollar award in a role like his for speaking truth to power? That's, that's disturbing, right? Like He has the, the, the highest salary in the federal government and the highest retirement salary. Well, so he can basically be bought. All you have to do is come up with maybe Pfizer is going to give him the next million dollar award for speaking truth to power. Um, but the coziness between big pharma, the media and the, the larger government has not worked to our advantage. And the, and the media, you know, I interviewed RFK Jr. And he was making the point about how the big pharma owns the media. Mm -hmm. He's not wrong. If you look at who advertises all over broadcast media and cable, it is, it's drug companies. It's you Pfizer. It. Did you ever see that compilation? Yes. Have you ever seen that compilation from the morning show? Oh, I got, I'll, no. I'll text it to you after this. There's an incredible, it's like a three minute compilation of all of the news shows, ABC, NBC, CBS, CNN, everybody all going in and out of commercial brought to you by Pfizer mm -hmm. as they're reporting on Pfizer. You, you can't, and they're, they're so rich. They're, it's an unlimited spend. You know, it, these companies are businesses. That was one thing I realized in my 17 years at Fox News. It was a business. It was a business first. It's not a public service. None of them is. I mean, Fox is not unique in that way. They want to put on programs that rate. They're not looking to do in-depth reports on homelessness if they don't think it's going to rate. I <laughs> right. remember the terrible earthquake down in Haiti. 
And uh, our, our biggest conclusion looking at the fall in numbers was Haiti, no Rady. Like hmm. that's, I remember we talked about it because it was just the dregs in terms of numbers. And very quickly, we and CNN and everybody else moved off of Haiti. Why? Because we didn't care about people in Haiti. No, it's just so far away that the American consumers weren't interested in that story. And so if we were truly just a public service, we would have stayed on it. But news is not. And so we all moved on pretty quickly. Do you feel like what level of freedom do you feel now doing your independent thing that you didn't feel either at Fox or at NBC? I mean, complete freedom, complete now. I can say whatever I want about whatever I want or whomever I want. And and that's lovely because while Fox censored me far less than anybody else ever did, I mean, NBC was far worse than Fox when it came to this is how you have to say it and this is the way we want it, you know, approached. Yeah. Um, can you, you give me understood. an example of that? Like that type of thing that you were getting? You were well, getting I mean, at NBC? everything. Everything out of your mouth that NBC is controlled. You, on my morning show, you'd have scripts, you know, that they put in the prompter, and everything would be run by uh, standard and practices. So the lawyers comb through every word with a fine tooth comb, would want to change, especially we did a lot of these Me Too stories that were breaking at the time, where they would want to change it to this or change it to that. And I, as a lawyer, to be, a lawyer would be like, that's not necessary. That's that's overreach. Mm-hmm. We're, we're erring too far on this side or that. And um, I was not in control. They were in control. Then I would want to ask my own questions because that's all I had ever done at Fox. Nobody writes your questions at Fox. Um, and they would get upset. They wanted the producers to write my questions. And that's where I said, I'm not doing that. That I draw the line. I, that's literally what you're paying me for, <laughs> to use my brain and come up with questions. I had one case. We were discussing a Supreme Court case. And a producer had given me a packet. She was not a lawyer. They had just hired her from Al Jazeera. And she wanted me to answer, to ask her questions. This like toddler from this <laughs> other one. I'm like, okay, I practiced law for 10 years. I covered the high court for three years and I've been a journalist for 17. You could take a seat. I will ask my own questions. So that, that was a frustration at NBC. And by the way, I did. Um, at Fox, it was more understood. You know, and and I was on board with the Fox mission that they were an antidote to the left wing bias in media. Mm-hmm. If you're going to work at Fox News, your goal is not to pick up the New York Times and put it on TV. Your goal is to try to take another look at the stories that are out there and see what the media is missing. See if there is another side to be told. And sometimes there isn't, but usually there is. So, yeah, that's but that's not my mission in my current job. My current job is just to give my honest take on the day's news, no matter where it lands. And however the agenda is, I don't care. Like the viewers will come or they won't, but it's it's honest and it's definitely not ideological. Do you wish that at some level mainstream media was better? Or at this point, do you think the ship has just sailed and it's like people will find you now, they'll find me and for better or worse, we're all just gonna go in our directions and so be it. Um, I, do, I think it's over for them. It's over. Um, you know, they're, they're gone, but not forgotten. And I think they're just on their last legs right now, sort of wobbling around, about to fall. And be. And it's. I just think it's done for them. Um, I, I think it's too late to resurrect them. So today we talked about Chris Cuomo and uh, his, his new show. And he goes out there and he says on News Nation, I, I'm going to be sort of the moderate voice. Okay, I'm going to be the voice of reason who's going to give it to you in a nonpartisan. Give me a break. <laughs> CNN right now is trying to do the same thing. After yeah. all these years of telling everyone who's, in the center or right of, not just, we're not with you, we hate you. Now that they see that that's a failing business model, they want to turn everything around and say, you can trust us. We're in the middle. We're the voice of reason. 
bullshit. Nobody yeah. believes that. So that works to your advantage and to my advantage because I think in both of our cases, we have a history of not being blinded by ideology. We've been open to facts and new information and honest about that journey too with our with our viewers. So that's our advantage. It's not theirs. And I don't think the media is going to come back from what they did to themselves during Trump. As I always say on the show, it's like for better or worse, whatever I'm saying on the show is coming out of my mind. So it's like, it all falls on me. But one of the things yeah. I'm always amazed about is on the network side, that these guys that screw up or get caught in massive lies or their ratings are horrible, they rarely get fired, they just get shifted. So Brian Williams, NBC Nightly News, I don't even remember what it was he got fired for. He lied about for something. For all the I, lies, he told all the lies yeah. about him. Remember, he was like basically with SEAL Team 6 at oh, the Bin right. Laden compound was. They were shooting. and like helping. <laughs> so then he gets fired from that gig and, and they give him a show on MSNBC. Don Lemon, no one's watching, says crazy things every night. They take him off primetime. They put him in the morning. Like, it's almost like they're showing us how insane the whole thing is. Yeah, well, they, they don't care because those people are on the right side ideologically, which is the left, right? Like they would have gotten rid of them a long time ago if they hadn't been saying the things that the network executives wanted them to say. I mean, the Don Lemon case really brings it home because as soon as they had a shift in management, he literally went out on the air and reminded everyone that he's black and he's gay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he like that's where we are in our society. Yeah. Just in case, I mean, I should have tried this at NBC. I should have been like, just in case you're thinking about getting rid of me, I have a vagina. Just <laughs> want you to know. <laughs> Megan, if I'm not mistaken, a former uh, president once talked about your vagina. So, you know. <laughs> yeah, as you might know. I've got one. And uh, <laughs> it's so pathetic though, right? And so why did he do that? Because it works. It, they didn't keep Don Lemon at CNN because they thought, we'll build a show around him in the morning. That was his excuse. They're gonna build something around me. I'm like, more about you than your own show in the prime time with your name and only your name on it? Because <laughs> guess what, Don? This is a demotion. In any event, they did it because he's in the right identity boxes and he's He's a thinker of the kind they like, right? He's not, uh, um, he's not a black gay conservative. That would be a bridge too far. They're not going to take Christian Walker and put him in the Don Lemon slot anyway. So he's got all that going for him. And the same thing with you know somebody like a Chris Cuomo who stayed a lot longer than he should have, right? Because he's somebody who thinks the way they do, and he's tied to the larger Cuomo empire. It's funny because I heard Chris uh, Chris Cuomo say the thing about I'm going to be the voice of reason or something, and it's like, well, well, what were you doing? What do you think you did for the last five years? I mean, yeah, what are you admitting? Or, or if you're going to admit it, then admit it. Do the Here's full the mea culpa, no, and then maybe we can. Yeah, he he, he mea culpa over protecting his brother, not over being a partisan hack, turning <laughs> himself into <laughs> well, a pundit without I mean. admitting that's what it. I mean. Here's what's annoying: like when I was at Fox News. I would make headlines a lot, inadvertently, you know, the, the media would just pick it up because I'd, I'd have very contentious moments with very well-known Republicans, mm -hmm. right? From Newt Gingrich to Dick Cheney to Donald Trump and beyond. But I would also make a lot of headlines for the fights I had with Democrats from Donna Brazil to Anthony Weiner and beyond. I have a history I can actually point to, to, to tell the audience, I will challenge any politician you've put in front of me because I'm not blinded by my own political opinions. What can Chris Cuomo point to in his past that would back up his I'm the voice of reason 
to trust me to not get sucked into the harsh partisanship of TV news. Bullshit. It was a lie because he needs to turn over a new leaf. And so he needs to hope and pray that people don't believe their lying eyes that they've looked through for the past 12 years or however long he was there doing that. So speaking of Chris Cuomo, you, you are a former New Yorker. They got rid of his brother in the midst of this uh, COVID craziness. And I don't know if you know this, but it ha so it happened during August, last August when they got rid of him. So I didn't know about it for a couple of weeks because I'm off the grid. And then Corolla is bringing me back on the grid. And he says, you know, they got rid of Andrew Cuomo. Before he even said who which he was being replaced with, I said, I guarantee you, whoever it is, it's going to be worse. And it's fairly obvious that Kathy mm. Hochul is far, even despite the fact that he killed all these people and our friend Janice Dean, what <laughs> happened to her, her you know, uh, in-laws and all of this stuff. Yeah. But she's, she's the worst of the worst. I mean, are, do you think that New York, California, these places, do you think they can ever turn around or are they just gonna be perpetually on that slide now? Hmm. I don't know because both New York and California have had Republican governors. They have large pockets of red. You know, their their statewide elections have been dominated by Democrats for years now. But, you know, upstate New York and Long Island and parts of New York are and western New York still very red. And obviously that's true in California, too. Uh, it just doesn't happen to be true of their major cities like New York City and L.A., certainly San Fran. Um, so I don't want to say it's never possible to have reason restored. And it wouldn't have to be a Republican. You know, I mean, it could be an Andrew Yang type or a Tulsi Gabbard type Democrat, somebody who just had it and was ready to call BS. I still think as a lifelong New Yorker, you know, not New York city or but New York stater, um, that could happen in my state. I have faith in the reason of most people living in New York. You know, I think that what's happened in New York, and you know, you'd know better than I in California, is the loudest voices have dominated the discussion and shamed the vast majority of their party into going along. And now that's become policy. And now we're seeing the real life results of that policy, for example, defund the police. And slowly but surely, those policies are falling apart. Now, COVID is its own unique brand of insanity. Our governor in New York is wearing a vaxxed necklace yeah. to her public events. I yeah. can't help people like that. They're gone. They're too far gone. We just need a new a new ruler, a new governor to replace her. So I, I don't want to say never, but mm, probably no time soon. I mean, when I heard her say that line a couple of weeks ago about how Republicans don't share our New York values and go down to Florida, it's like, I don't know that I've ever heard a Republican, a sitting you know, in office Republican, say anything that disgusting about half the people that live in their city. And yet it's becoming sort of commonplace with the way they, they speak about half the country. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like Governor Cuomo said that too, uh, 10 years ago when he was still in the office. And I, at, le at least Governor Cuomo has a name that's been in New York. We all loved Mario Cuomo Everyone back in the day. Everyone loved Mario Cuomo. At least he's got some like street cred when it comes to being a New Yorker. Kathy Hochul, who, who are you? You weren't even elected. We didn't even want you, you with your weird necklace and your two <laughs> blushy cheeks. I don't like, <laughs> take a seat. Again, I, I want her to just be quiet. And she's become this hardcore activist. She is awful. She's the worst politician. She can't give a speech. She's, there's nothing relatable about her. So... I'm even more offended by her comments. And then you got Charlie Chris down there, like, don't vote for me if you if you voted for DeSantis. Like, weren't you a Republican like two minutes ago? Like, you're even more soulless and spineless than Cuomo. Um, so yeah, I don't think that they speak for the vast majority of their party. I think smart politicians want votes from wherever they come. 
Uh, but it just kind of shows you how tribal we've gotten. Yeah, so you know I'm down here, obviously, in Florida now, and it's been a little hard for me to try to figure out what's going on with the mainstream media when it comes to this hurricane, but it's pretty obvious, because I don't have cable anymore, so I can't, you know, I only see Twitter clips now, um, but it's pretty obvious. It's like, these, this, this machine would love for this disaster to have been worse to, to get DeSantis. Do you, yep. do you think that's too much to, to say that, or no, no. do you agree with that? No, it's, oh, oh my God, no, it's definitely not too much. The media is capable of anything. The darkest things you can possibly imagine, they're capable of it. They're very agenda-driven, so yes. And what they're doing to DeSantis now on Lee County, it was like, why didn't you cover Lee County? He's like, well, the, the course of the hurricane changed. And when it changed, we gave an evacuation order. And they're like, oh, but it takes 20 hours for the people on the outskirts to evacuate. Well, take it up with Hurricane Ian, mm -hmm. right? And, and to DeSantis's credit, he said to the media, where were you? You weren't in Lee. Right, you, know, you guys you, were all in Tampa. You were in Tampa. So yep. like, save it. But if they smell smell blood in the water, you know, they're gonna, they, they love it when it's a Republican. And, and there was just a report, I think... I think it was Maggie Haberman in the New York Times who was saying something like, a lot of the times you have to wait, you have to wait to see the damage to know what kind of a job the leader has done. So it's basically like, so far he's done a good job, but just let's hold our fire mm -hmm. because I'm sure there'll be disasters popping up that we can blame on him later. God, it, it really, it's, it's so gross. It really is just so absolutely gross. What, what do you want to happen with the Trump DeSantis thing? Well, I just don't think anybody else could win if Trump runs. So, and I don't, I just, really? I don't Really? So you, know. you think if they got on a stage, you, you don't think that DeSantis is, is crafty enough or the record no. stands enough to, really? Interesting. No. I don't even think that a little. Um, I think Trump sucks up all the energy in every room, no matter what. And even someone as skilled as a politician and smart policy-wise as DeSantis can't overcome that. He can't. It, the only way DeSantis is going to become the Republican nominee is if Trump chooses not to run and endorses him or dies. <laughs> like, I just don't see a world in which Trump says, I want it. Let's say he says, I want it. And DeSantis beats him fair and square in the primary. You really think the hardcore MAGA is going to abandon Trump for DeSantis? They're not. I talk to them all the time. I, I take calls from them on my radio show and they won't. They, they like DeSantis but they don't think it's his turn. They think Trump was screwed out of his last election, that he was screwed out of his first term by all the craziness and the Russia gate and so on. And they think he's he is entitled. He deserves another shot at it. And so unless Trump gracefully and graciously says, get behind DeSantis, I, I wouldn't put any chips on DeSantis at all. That's... That's really interesting. I mean, look, I, I've said many times, I'd love, love for them to work it out on the DL, have a dinner, figure out what has to be figured out and go forward. A lot of people, and I'm sort of moving on this a little bit, say that they should just get on the debate stage and do it. And, and whoever you know, comes out will be sharper for it. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I agree, there is a certain portion of like the base base that would rather burn everything down if, if it doesn't get to Trump. It, but it's a huge portion, Dave. It's a huge portion. Mm. Like the hardcore Trump faithful is unshakable. And they're, I've, I, again, I hear from them all the time. They're, they, they like him, they like DeSantis, but they would never cross Trump for him. And they think that DeSantis owes his political career to Trump. Like if forced to choose, they will choose Trump. So DeSantis can't take him down. It's like the line in war games, the only winning move is not to play. DeSantis has got to either be crowned by Trump 
Um, or he shouldn't run. Is he's Trump? It'll be. It would be. I, I don't know. I don't. He. It wouldn't. I was going to say it's not going to be a kamikaze mission because he wouldn't take down Trump. Right? Only Trump can take down Trump. Um, but he won't win over Trump. I. I'll stand by that. You can play it against me if I'm wrong, but I won't be. By the way, I'm not even totally sure I want him to run. I, I love Florida so much, and I know how much he loves it, and I know how this state is flourishing, that at some level, just at a, I suppose, a somewhat selfish level, it's like, no, stay here. Let's, let's keep running with this thing and see how great we can make this state. And maybe the machinery of the federal government is just so broken, that swamp thing maybe is so all-encompassing that there's not much you could do there anyway. It wouldn't be bad to vote for gridlock. Yeah, it wouldn't be bad point. to just freeze the executive's powers, which have gotten too big. Yeah. And this this version of of the presidency of the executive branch was never envisioned by the founders. It's gotten too big and too out of control. However, if we froze it as it is now, if we're voting for gridlock from, you know, in 2024 and in 2022 and 2024 and beyond, well, then we're going to be stuck with a lot of bad Biden policies. And I, I would love to see that some of those reversed. For example, due process for young men accused on college campuses, yeah. which is about to switch back to Biden's and Obama's worldview, unless this public comment period, which was very anti their changes, changes things. But, uh, you know, he doesn't want due process for accused men on campuses. He wants trans girls to be competing against biological girls and girls sports. He, there's a lot of stuff that Biden's done that needs to be undone. And then if we could just like undo it and put us back to stasis, then I'm all for gridlock. You know, I, I don't want a big executive. I'd much rather see governors make policy and, you know, do police power things and so on. So since you can say whatever you think about all sorts of stuff these days, and you mentioned Biden, do you think he's all there? What, what do you think is really going on here at this point? Who do you think is running this thing? It cannot be him, right? Joe Biden is not okay. There's no question in my mind. All the signs of dementia are present and increasing. It's getting worse by the day. The being lost all the time, that's a sign. The increase in slurring is a hold on. That's a sign of dementia. The inability to remember who's dead and who's alive, even though moments earlier you saw a tribute to this representative from Indiana, Jackie yep. Walorski, and then you look around the room and say, where is she? You just, you just saw a tribute. You, you wrote a letter to her family. I realized he didn't do it. He knew she was dead. He'd been told. It, it wasn't. Just a few weeks. It was two months earlier. Mm -hmm. He forgot. It's a sign of dementia. Um, all Even the way we mock how he says something and then the White House comes out a day later and does the cleanup, you know, like, no, no, we're not going to go into Taiwan if China invades. We're not. Yeah. That's, that's not. And uh, it depends on if it's a minor incursion and, oh, no, I'm for regime change in Russia. All three, you know, right, his, his minions at the White House or his controllers run out and say, didn't mean it, not a change in policy. That's part of it. He's not in control of what he says, of what he blurts out. And he's the one who in that 60 minutes, Dave said, watch me. Yep. The question by Scott Pelley was, are you fit? And he said to us, watch me. Well, we have, we are, and we're deeply alarmed. We're coming up on November. That's when the annual physical is. There must be a cognitive test the results of which must be publicly released. Trump did it in 18, and Biden has to do it. And it better be with somebody who we trust and not some hack. Uh, I hate to tell you, but I don't think we're getting the results of that test. Unless, unless, and I think this is probably what the move will be, 
which is if they get completely hammered in the midterms, they're gonna need the scapegoat and you just figure out a way to just dump it all on Biden. He has to step down. And I honestly, I'm not sure they'd give it to Kamala. They'd figure out some weird way to get no Gavin way. Newsom in there or something. No way, they can't possibly give it to her. I, honestly, like, I'm sorry, but this is not a smart person. Yeah. She's really not. She's not. Like, I, sorry. Um, but, and she may be more prone to verbal ga gaffes than he is without the dementia. Right, right. She's got an excuse. Right. Um, so they can't, and they know they can't. Adam, um, no, Mark Garagos and Adam Carolla were on my show, and Mark was saying he thinks that they may take Karen Bass, um, you know, running for L.A. mayor, and pluck her, like replace Kamala Harris with a different person um, who's diverse, who would check some boxes. Like the only way to get rid of Kamala Harris is, you know, stay in the diverse lane um, and maybe get rid of her that way. I don't know. I thought the whole thing was going to be give her the Supreme Court judgeship and turf her out that way and then open up that second in command spot. Now I don't know. I know Gavin Newsom has great hair. Yeah. I see it too. He's I do. soulless. He has no soul. There's no soul behind the hair. As soon as America gets a closer look at him and his policies, they're going to run. He's a squad member. That's yeah. how far left he is. He can't do it. America is still a center-right country. We are. There's no way Gavin Newsom becomes president. Not, not now. Not unless he really changes all of his policies. Isn't it incredible, though, that the how the media runs cover for them no matter what? So, like, you know, you mentioned a couple of Biden's big gaffes, the, the Taiwan one, for example. But it's like, do you remember, what was it, six weeks ago or so that Biden said he had cancer? And then basically within two yeah. minutes, everybody was like, no, 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 it's not that he has cancer. It's that he has dementia. So he just <laughs> misremembered the can. And it's like, how do you guys, they're doing the magic trick right in front of us and everybody falls for it every time. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's one a day, right? It's like, I'm a Puerto Rican. I was basically <laughs> raised Puerto Rican with Puerto Rican. Oh, you mean in, in the, your state, which had 0.8% Puerto Rican population. You had 3,000 Puerto Ricans out of 550,000 Delawareans and you were raised by Puerto Ricans. No, you weren't, right? These like the media doesn't care. They, they actually wind up, if you try to fact check Biden on any of these absurd claims, they run out there and then they fact check you. Like Kamala Harris, the thing that you kicked it off with and her racist comments about how you you have to be a, a group in need of equity in order to get hurricane relief. Um, I think it was the Washington Post did a fact check on some senator who said she's making race the basis for relief. And they were like, fact check, lacks context. Why don't you fact check her claim? Because yes. what she said is a lie. The White House had to disavow it. FEMA said it's not true. Where's that fact check? Uh. We covered it on my show and we'll continue to cover it. Megan, as I often tell you, you're on my short list of sane people, which keeps getting shorter. I don't know if that's good for you or bad for you or what, but uh, it's good to see you, my friend. It's an honor. Great to see you again. And next time, over tequila in the free state of Florida. Oh, sounds amazing. Done. Consider it done. See you there. All right. Thanks for tuning in to The Rubin Report. Don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. If you're looking for early and exclusive content, you can join me on Locals at rubinreport.locals.com.